0: Amen. So whenever I think about the need for being prepared, I always look back to this one trip that I took in college. Uh, A few of my buddies and I decided we wanted to do something a little bit fun, a little bit different, a little bit adventurous this one October break. So we got together and we deliberated a little bit and the five of us decided we wanted to go whitewater rafting. We wanted to raft the New and the Gauley Rivers down in West Virginia. Uh, So we decided, we made these reservations with this rafting company, uh, and then very quickly we just delegated a few things. These guys are going to pack all the food that we'll need for this three-day trip. These guys are going to get all of the camping equipment together, uh, everything that we'll need. So we delegated, and then really that's where our planning ended. Uh, The semester rolled on, none of us really thought about this trip again until it was about time to leave. Well, October break arrives, and uh, we make this long drive down to West Virginia from western New York State where we were uh, going to school. And uh, we finally make it down to West Virginia, just a long, exhausting drive, and we're all just starving. So we turn to one of the guys who's supposed to pack all our food, and we just say, so can you pull out some stuff for lunch? We're all starving. Just eat something quickly before we set up camp. And uh, he slings his backpack off his shoulder, unzips it, starts pulling things out. He pulls out some shoes, a sweatshirt, just some personal items. And then way down at the bottom, underneath it all, he pulls out this old, smushed up, small loaf of bread. I mean, the bread was like smushed into these little circles. And then he, he, he reaches around his backpack in that front little zipper, he unzips it, and he pulls out this little pack of bologna. And uh, we're all thinking, man, this lunch stinks, but whatever, we're hungry, we'll eat it, it's good enough. So we eat these smushed up bologna sandwiches, and there's five of us, and there's not much bologna left, there's not much bread left, and it was fine for that meal. And then we turn to him and say, so what else did you bring for food for this trip? He says, well, I know I was in charge of the food, but I kind of forgot this was all I had. And we're thinking, there's five guys for three days. You brought this smushed up loaf of bread and this tiny pack of bologna. It's almost gone already. After one lunch, what are we going to eat? So we were concerned. And then we start to set up our camp. And we turn to the guys who are supposed to bring all the camping equipment, and they pull out this one little three-man tent, which realistically could have held maybe two guys. And we set it up and we say, all right, what else is there? We'll just set it up now since we're, we're going. I said, well, actually, I, I kind of forgot about things and this was all I could find. And we're thinking, are you serious? This holds two people. So now we're down in West Virginia. We have almost nothing to eat. And we either have to squeeze five dudes into this two-man tent or just sleep outside on the ground in the cold. And then the time comes for us to actually raft. And we were apparently supposed to either buy or rent some sort of rafting apparel, these like wetsuit shirts and shorts, because the water down in West Virginia in October was freezing. Uh, It was a really cold weekend. The water, river water was so cold. And they said, we got there and they told us, guys, under no circumstances should you wear cotton clothes. No cotton. When the cotton gets wet, you are going to freeze. Of course, all any of us brought were these cotton t-shirts and and athletic shorts to raft in. So inevitably, we fall in the water. We are all freezing cold every time we went rafting. So we were wildly unprepared for this rafting trip. Uh, Most of us had nowhere to sleep. We had almost nothing to eat for three days. And we were so cold and uncomfortable the entire time that we were down there. We were completely unprepared. And when looking back, I often wish one of us had just said, you know what, guys, let's actually take this seriously. Let's actually get the things we're supposed to get to be prepared to have fun and be comfortable and have food and places to sleep during this weekend. But nobody did. Well, leading up to our text for today, Jesus knows that far greater challenges than just being cold, hungry, without a bed for a couple nights, are lying ahead for His disciples. Jesus knows that these men who have left their lives and their families to follow Him, they would certainly become faithful ministers. They would carry out these wonderful and miraculous ministries. Uh, they They would have powerful preaching. But they would also suffer greatly, encounter trials and challenges, really, really tough stuff. Now Jesus also knows that He is personally marching ever closer to the cross. And though He would be raised on the third day, He knows that His bodily, physical time with these guys is short. So He is deliberately communicating these vital truths to His disciples in order to prepare them for this challenging life of ministry and discipleship. Jesus also knows that one of the best ways to be prepared to be a faithful disciple, a faithful follower of Him, is to have a proper understanding of what is and what isn't truly valuable. Well, if we too want to follow Jesus, if we want to commit ourselves to be disciples of Jesus, we will also certainly experience wonderful blessings along the way. But there's no doubt that we will have challenges, trials, maybe even suffering for the name of Christ. So like the disciples, we too need to be prepared, which in part... Means learning to hold on to what is truly valuable while learning to let go of what is not. So let's be trained up today. Let's receive the preparation that we need to be faithful disciples of Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Well, we're continuing on in our summer series, working through the parables of Jesus. And this morning, we just come to these two little gems in Matthew's Gospel, which, uh, which Jesus is telling for a reason. Uh, now so far in the narrative, uh, in Matthew's narrative, Jesus, his public ministry has begun. He has worked miracles uh, with astounding power. He is taught with this divine wisdom. He has lived in perfect obedience uh, to the Father's will. But in so doing, he's also ruffled some feathers along the way, hasn't he? In fact, since chapter 11 especially, Matthew is highlighting the growing opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. We read that Jesus is rejected by some who encounter him. Uh, earlier on in chapter 13, you remember the parable of the sower. we worked through this weeks ago. Uh, we learn that Jesus stands in front of a crowd. He tells this parable that some will reject him, some will receive him. We read in chapter 12 that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are rising up. Verse 14 said that they went out, conspired against Him how to destroy Him. And we also see at the end of chapter 13 that the residents of Nazareth, Jesus' own hometown, have rejected Him. So in spite of being the true Messiah, instead of car- in spite of carrying out this miraculous ministry on earth, He is encountering real rejection and opposition. Yet in spite of all of this opposition growing up against Him, and because of the loads of opposition, the rejection, the distraction, the discouragements that are still to come for His followers, He has this bold and direct message to prepare the disciples to faithfully persevere throughout the hard realities of the Christian life. Jesus gives us this lesson about kingdom living, this message about discipleship. So our Savior tells these two parables. And the first truth that He highlights is that the kingdom is supremely valuable. Now we know that the parables are directed from Jesus specifically to the disciples. Verse thirteen, verse, uh, Chapter 13, verse 46 says that uh, He left the crowd, He went into the house, and the disciples came after Him. So the, the, the parables are taking place within this special and intimate moment of teaching between Jesus and His close followers. And Jesus is telling them something about the Kingdom of Heaven, right? We know that both parables begin with this phrase, the Kingdom of Heaven is like. So in training these guys up and preparing them, Jesus is teaching them important truths about the Kingdom, which begs the question, what in the world is the Kingdom of Heaven? What is Jesus referring to when He talks about the Kingdom of Heaven? Well, the term the Kingdom of Heaven in the New Testament is referring to the dynamic reign of God. God's sovereign rule. The term is used interchangeably with the Kingdom of God or just simply the Kingdom. Uh, And they're all referring back to God's glorious rule. Now the whole Old Testament narrative is leading up to, looking forward to, anticipating the coming of the Messiah when His messianic uh, rule would be inaugurated. When the Kingdom would be inaugurated. They're they're looking forward to Jesus, the Messiah. Now here we are in Matthew 13, and here is Jesus, the Messiah. He's here. He has come. Everything that the Old Testament was anticipating, He's here. He's going to fulfill it. And Jesus' presence means that God is exercising His kingly rule to defeat Satan's sin and death with great finality, to give hope to the hopeless, to lift up the lowly, to give forgiveness to the repentant sinner, and to inaugurate His matchless kingdom. He's inaugurating the kingdom. It will be fully realized that during the second coming, it is being established in Christ's first coming. So God looks down on this world full of filthy, rotten sinners like you and me, who constantly are wandering further away from Him, who have this major problem called sin which not only disqualifies us from an eternity spent in blissful relationship with God in heaven but qualifies us for eternal punishment in hell. He looks down upon us knowing we are totally hopeless to save ourselves and what does he do? He steps down into human history. Jesus comes, he lives the perfect life, he takes the curses of our sin upon himself. He uh, takes the punishment warranted by our wickedness so that for those who place faith by grace in Jesus Christ, we might be forgiven, washed clean, made pure, covered over with the righteousness of Jesus and being welcomed with great celebration into the life of God's kingdom, able to enjoy God forever. And in doing all of this, God's splendid, His magnificent kingdom is established. And Jesus is making that kingdom available to people, isn't he? So the kingdom is God's wonderful reign, ushered in by Jesus, entered into by people by faith through grace. And in telling these parables, what does Jesus communicate about his kingdom? Well, it communicates that the kingdom is immeasurably valuable. Look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. What a statement. As we will learn, the man in this parable finds such value in the kingdom that coming in contact with it just drastically changes everything. That the value of the kingdom is life altering. Look at verse 45 and 46, where the kingdom is compared to one pearl of great value. Now, pearls in the ancient world were highly valued, even more so than they are today. Uh, In fact, a more accurate modern equivalent would be to think of the preciousness of diamonds. Uh, Pearls aren't actually mentioned much in the Bible, but when they are, they're often used as the ultimate symbol of beauty and uh, value. Pearls are the standard of excellence by which you compare something. For example, in Job 28, uh, it, it says that wisdom is above pearls. In the book of Revelation, pearls are also used... Um, when describing the splendor of the New Jerusalem. And here in this parable, this pearl of great price speaks to the value of the kingdom. Moreover, that word in the original language which is describing this pearl as having great value, that word is actually only, uh, only used three times in the New Testament. It appears three times in the Bible. One time is here where it's translated as great value when it's describing this pearl representing the kingdom. One time is in John 12.3 where it is translated as expensive. This is when Mary took a pound of expensive ointment of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and washed His feet with her hair. And then the third time is in 1 Peter 1, 1.7 where the Word is translated as precious when Peter talks about our faith as being more precious than gold. This is a word used by biblical authors to describe something that is of the utmost value, worth, and preciousness. And according to Jesus, that utmost preciousness describes the kingdom. So hopefully you're starting to get this sense of how precious and amazing and supreme the kingdom is. How valuable it is. I hope you are because Jesus wanted His disciples in Matthew 13 to be prepared to follow Him well by knowing the supreme value of the kingdom. And He wants the same for you and I today. So know this morning that the best, the most amazing thing that could ever happen to you is knowing Jesus Christ, recognizing Him as your Lord and your Savior, repenting of your sin, asking for forgiveness, and wholeheartedly entering into His kingdom. And then once you are incorporated into the kingdom, thanks to Jesus What ought to be your most precious, your most prized and cherished treasure? The kingdom. So don't be thrown off course by the trappings of the world. Don't be beat down by those who persecute you. Don't be compromised by those who seek to dissuade you. Don't be uh, discouraged by earthly trials. Neither the approval of man nor your circumstances nor anything you can work to attain is your true treasure. The kingdom of God is your treasure. And Jesus provides these two parables so that we will know it. So treasure Jesus for His kingdom is supremely valuable. Well, Jesus through these parables is making it clear to His followers that supreme value is found in the kingdom, but He also shows us that because the kingdom is so worthy, it's appropriate for us to prioritize the kingdom over and against all other concerns. Uh, now, before we turn back to the text, it's just important to note quickly that uh, in interpreting these uh, parables, there are a few places where we can get into trouble if we over-allegorize what Jesus is saying. Uh, and here's what I mean. In the parable of the treasure, um, the man's ethics are not in view. Jesus is not telling this to give us an ethical statement. This isn't an ethical thing that Jesus, is not a lesson about ethics, Uh, For example, we read that he found this treasure in a field. We can only assume it wasn't his, right? Someone else must have buried it. Uh, But what does he do? He finds it, he reburies it, he goes, sells everything, and he gets the treasure. Now remember, Jesus is not telling us an ethical story here. It seems like a shady, a sketchy thing that he's doing, but that's not why he's telling the story. Um, Also, in the parable of the treasure as well as the parable of the pearl, there's this language about buying, right? The man buys the field. The pearl merchant buys the, uh, the pearl. Um, that language of buying is not meant to be allegorized. We know from Scripture that no one can buy, merit, earn, work to attain the kingdom. We get the, the kingdom through Christ, by grace, by faith. Uh, so us having to do something to attain the kingdom is not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, so what is the point? What do these parables emphasize? Well, for one, they highlight that there is great importance in discovering the value of the kingdom. And secondly, knowing the kingdom's value informs the life of discipleship. So with that said, let's turn back to the text where Jesus has been emphasizing that it's appropriate to prioritize the kingdom over and against everything else. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now I picture a man, he's likely a farmer, he's not especially wealthy, and he's been working hard all day, right? Hard labor, physical, outside, uh, in the dirt, under the hot sun. Uh, I mean, can't you picture this guy, his hands are just stained with soil and it smells like just the sweat that's saturated through his clothes and He's breathing heavy because he's so tired and his back's probably sore because he's been plowing for a while laboring all day and then all of a sudden it happens he's plowing and he finds this treasure in the field he wasn't looking for it he unassumingly stumbles upon it and though he wasn't looking for it finding this treasure is just a game changer for him right He must have recognized the value of the treasure right away because immediately he just prioritizes the treasure above all other things. This thing is his top priority as a single goal, the treasure. He wants the field so he can own the treasure. The treasure is his priority. So what does he do? Like we said, he reburies it. He goes. He sells everything. He buys the field. And by implication of buying the field, he gets the treasure. The treasure is his priority. And according to Jesus, this is a picture of kingdom life. And paralleling that message, we have this parable of the pearl merchant. Verse 45, again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So picture this merchant, this businessman who specialized in buying and selling pearls. He would have a shrewd business sense. He would be able to identify the value of these pearls after all his likelihood depends upon his ability to to decide what pearls are worth and to make good deals. So he's doing his thing. He's out. He's searching for good pearls. Hopefully he can get a good pearl with a nice value and flip it for a profit. And then it happens. This guy encounters this amazing pearl of a lifetime. This thing is priceless. It is worth liquidating all of his assets to attain. Now one of the big differences from this parable to the last one is that this pearl merchant is actively seeking out the pearl, right? Whereas the man with the treasure just sort of unassumingly stumbles upon it. But while he's looking for good pearls, there's still a sense in the text of good fortune when he finds this one. It's that wonderful. Either way, Jesus highlights that whether the kingdom is found or whether it's sought out, what's important is that these guys are responding positively to the treasure Into the pearl, they are like the good soil in the parable of the sower. So the pearl merchant finds this amazing pearl, and just like the man plowing the field, he immediately prioritizes this pearl, right? He finds the pearl, he sells off everything else, he radically reworks all of his priorities and all of his values, and this pearl becomes his chief affection. And again, according to Jesus, this is a picture of kingdom life. So what can we learn from these two guys prioritizing the treasure and the pearl? We learn that encountering the Savior, Jesus Christ, and the exquisiteness of His kingdom elicits a wholesale, complete reordering of our priorities. If you know Jesus and His kingdom truly, you do whatever it takes to serve Him, to follow Him well, he is your priority. If you once prioritized your job no longer, now Jesus and His kingdom is your treasure. If a relationship or some material items were once most important to you no longer, now Jesus and the kingdom are everything to you. And one of the best ways to gauge what you're prioritizing is to take an honest look at what you're thinking about, what you're spending your time doing, what you're spending your money on. And not that any of these things are are bad in and of themselves, but some people spend all of their time, all of their mental energy, all of their effort strategizing fantasy football lineups, online shopping, watching TV, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, doing whatever it may be to serve yourselves. They spend all their money stockpiling things and doing fun activities. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but where is the kingdom there? What does that description say about this person's priorities? Does this person really see the kingdom's worth over and against all that other stuff? No. But a disciple who prioritizes the kingdom thinks about the Lord, meditates on Scripture, prays, confesses sin, repents when there's sin in their life because they care about faithfulness to God. This person Uh, Uses money and resources to generously help others and to support the ministry of the church. Why? Because this person has encountered the beauty of the kingdom, and now the kingdom is infinitely more important than anything else. So all of us, myself included, uh, this morning, take take the lesson from Jesus and have a deep, honest look and ask yourself, what is my priority? Is it myself? Is it my job? Is it a relationship? Is it my lifestyle? Is it my finances? Or is it Jesus and His kingdom? Do you know that early on in the rising tide of the uh, Western World Missions movement, um, missionaries so prioritized the kingdom of God that they would willingly go off into foreign lands to these uh unreached people groups all over the world and what they would do is they'd pack all their stuff in a casket and that casket was their luggage and they'd go now why would they use a casket for luggage they would use a casket for luggage because they knew they were leaving their homes and their families for good and they would likely die on the mission field serving jesus christ and it's for easy for us today to romanticize that fact like wow that's awesome man that's great but Think about the difficulty that that they were openly embracing here. A life of hardship because they deemed radical service to Jesus as more important than all these other things that they were giving up. Now I'm not saying go to some foreign land, to some strange place and just die there. But there is a principle being conveyed here in the text. If you know the kingdom for what it really is, is your true treasure. It will be such a prioritized... Uh, such a priority in your life that um, nothing else could ever possibly compare to serving with and wa- to, ser- to serving and walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like my friends and I, how we got down to West Virginia and we were cold and uncomfortable all weekend long because we just weren't prepared. In a similar way, if the kingdom of God is not your treasure, if it's not your priority when the, the difficulties of life come, when temptation to sin comes, when walking with the Lord is not easy, when those times come, if these times come and you're treasuring something else, if you're prioritizing other things, your ministry will, will suffer and your closeness to God will be negatively affected. So be prepared. Prioritize the kingdom. Prioritize Jesus for His kingdom is supremely valued. Uh, So through these two little parables, Jesus has taught us that the kingdom of God is worth more than anything else. It's supremely valuable. And since it is so valuable, it's appropriate to prioritize the kingdom. And now the parable reveals that since uh, we're prioritizing the kingdom, that means sacrifice. Now in both parables, the person of interest sell off everything they have for the sake of the kingdom. Verse 44 at the end it says, Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. At the end of verse 46, this pearl merchant, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that pearl. Now both the man and the merchant make sacrifices for the kingdom. In fact, they sell everything they have so that they can have it. But it, let's look at what these guys are really giving up and what they're actually receiving back, right? Um, they're giving up these material possessions. Uh, But in contrast to the treasure and to the pearl, these are lesser things. These are less valuable, inferior, less worthwhile things. And we have to understand this and take on this perspective in our own lives because we are so easily swayed to overvalue the comforts and the things of this life. But you may be reading and thinking, but it still seems like they're giving a lot. They're selling everything for this one treasure and this one pearl. Is this one treasure and this one pearl really worth more than everything else that they have combined? Yes. Jesus says yes. The kingdom is worth more than everything. You see, once the kingdom is understood and you encounter Jesus and all his glory and you know him and you know his promises and all that he's secured for you, what else can compare to him and his kingdom? Nothing, nothing can compare. So is rearranging your life to follow Jesus, giving up some things of this world to embrace the kingdom, is that worth it? Of course it is. The treasure is worth selling off everything else. The pearl is worth giving up all other pearls for. And Jesus is worth any sacrifice you will ever make. And Matthew has been pounding this idea of willingly making sacrifices to follow Jesus. He has been pounding this idea into the hearts and into the heads of his readers throughout the gospel. Positively, we see it in the sacrifice of the disciples. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. A couple pages back, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 18. While walking by the sea of Galilee he saw two brothers Simon who is called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and he said to them follow me and I will make you fishers of men verse 20 immediately they left their nets and they followed him and going on from there they saw two other brothers he saw two other brothers James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them verse 22 Immediately they left their the boat and their father and followed him Flip over to Matthew chapter 9 one quick verse Matthew chapter 9 verse 9 And Jesus passed on from there he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him Follow me and he rose and followed him You see Jesus calls they leave everything jobs lives family they follow One day they were fishermen and tax collectors. The next day they're following Jesus. He is their treasure. He is their priority. priority. So they sacrifice things. They go. They follow Jesus because they get Jesus. They get the kingdom. And while the disciples give us this positive example of eagerly leaving things behind for the sake of following Christ, we get a negative example in Matthew's Gospel in the rich young ruler. Turn with me to Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19. Starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this young rich guy asked Jesus a question, What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, just this master of rhetoric, talks about the law. He's making this point that it's not obedience to the law. It's not good deeds that get you to eternal life. But he gives him this invitation. Give up that other stuff. Come follow me. It's interesting to note, it's the same invitation he gave to the disciples back in, in chapter 4. Follow me. Leave it. Follow me. But what does the young man do? He leaves sorrowful because he had great things that he didn't want to give up for Jesus. This is like the man with the treasure um, plowing along. He's tired. He's, his body aches. Uh, he's been working hard outside. And then he stumbles a, a, across this amazing treasure and him saying, this thing is clearly way more valuable than anything I own. But man, do I like that stuff. So I'm just going to leave the treasure. So boy, do we have a lot to chew on here when we start thinking about these parables, when we start thinking about the disciples, the rich young uh, ruler. Now you remember when we talked about how Christ ushered in the kingdom and made the kingdom available to people? To sinners? Well, the kingdom certainly puts God's limitless grace on display, doesn't it? I mean, grace upon grace upon grace. God towards us. But as we also see, the kingdom comes with a high demand. Uh, This invitation to enter the kingdom is by grace, but we know it's also meaningful to God that we live by kingdom standards, which may mean giving things up to follow Jesus. Now remember, these parables are about discipleship and commitment to the kingdom. Jesus is telling them because... This is a message that's so relevant to these disciples. These guys did leave everything. And he wants them to, to carry on, to not to lose heart, not to lose faith, not to be distracted from their course. But they're also relevant for us today. We must know that to find the kingdom of heaven is to find our true treasure and our greatest priority. So when you encounter it, no cost is too big, no sacrifice is too large. Anything you give up along the way for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom is so worth it. So, does your life reflect a love for Jesus and his kingdom? Do you treasure him to the point of letting go of the things of this world if he calls you to it? Do you respond to the kingdom the way the man and the merchant responded to finding the treasure and the pearl? Are you more like the disciples or are you more like the rich young ruler? These are so important questions. So important for us to wrestle with. While Jesus shows the appropriateness of sacrificing in order to follow Jesus, He also makes a comment about the nature of sacrifice. And He shows us that making these sacrifices for Jesus and His kingdom is a joy. It is a privilege. It is not a burden. And oftentimes, man, when we have to do something to serve, doesn't it feel like a burden at times? Can't we respond that way? He's saying, no, it's a joy. It's a privilege. Verse 44, there's one little detail towards the end there. It says, Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Very simply, once this guy has encountered this treasure, he responds with joy at the opportunity to go and sell everything in order to uh, get this treasure. Likewise, the pearl merchant can't wait to unload all of his assets in order to get this pearl. A life of sacrificial discipleship is a privilege and it is a joy. You want to know how these disciples responded to Jesus' teaching them these parables, giving them these parables, conveying these kingdom truths to them, how they responded? Turn with me to Acts 5. And um, while you're turning there, because it's important just to read this together, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. So, Peter and some of the apostles were arrested for preaching the name of Jesus Christ and performing miracles in Jesus' name. So, they're arrested. They're imprisoned, and the religious leaders aren't sure what to do with them. They decide just to beat them, and then forbid them ever to preach the name of Jesus again, and then they let them go. So they're imprisoned, they're beaten, beaten, they're forbidden ever to preach or perform miracles in the name of Jesus, and then they're let go. Verse 41, let's see how they respond. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So what do you think? Do you think these disciples took Jesus' parables to heart? Do you think they had a proper understanding of the value and the priority of the kingdom? Did you catch what the text said? They rejoice because they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. That is a kingdom mindset. If only we could think like that. This is life in the kingdom, and we are all called to it. And you guys know what this sacrificial kingdom living is all about. I know that you do. After being um, around Pastor Josh for a while, I've just come to realize that He has amazing gifts in leadership. um, But he also has so many skills, which I feel like would translate well to the business world. Um, And I am sure that Josh could be making a lot more money, living a much more extravagant lifestyle, much more comfortable if you were working off doing something elsewhere. Yet God called him and his family to lay down all of those comforts and all of those other things, to plant a church in Boston, of all places, a place that is notoriously difficult for church plants. And while I'm sure he feels these daily pressures and challenges, Josh does not wake up thinking, man, I could be living the dream, working some other job, having all this stuff, more money, better retirement, bigger house, Oh, what a burden. Church planning. That is not our pastor. He prays daily. Thank you, God. What a privilege. What a joy to to, to leave that stuff behind. To serve you. To plant this church. Service to you is the best. I wouldn't want to use my life doing anything else. This is a joy. Thank you, God. And like Pastor Josh, many of you know what this sacrificial kingdom living is about. Many of you, after a long work week, You get to Saturday, right? Awesome. You look forward to Saturday. A day off, a day to sleep in. And what do you do? You wake up early and you help at Kids Connect. Or you're spending time at a movie in the park. Or you're serving somewhere. Many of you work a long, hard day. Then you come home and you put in hours of behind-the-scenes work for the church to make sure this ministry is moving forward. Many of you come home after a long, hard day and all you want to do is veg out and watch a show before you go to bed. But you have a neighbor over so you can build a relationship and share the Gospel. As Krista and I have moved to Boston, we have been blown away by the sacrificial generosity of this church. People have delivered meals to our house. People have helped us unpack, helped us get settled in, cared for us, checked in with us. Guys, none of these sacrifices are small. These are big deals. This is kingdom living. Sacrificing time, effort, resources to help someone, to grow a ministry, to honor Christ, to advance the kingdom. These are good, worthy sacrifices. And we take this text and we are spurred on to make them more and more for the sake of Jesus and His kingdom because what's our greatest treasure? The kingdom. So I just want to invite you now to be introspective for a moment. Be honest with yourself. And if there are possessions that you own, relationships you love, a job or a degree that you just take pride in, things of this life that you're holding near and dear, and they might be good things, healthy things, but if you struggle at the idea of laying them down, for the sake of Jesus and His kingdom, you may not have a proper understanding of His worth. So spend some time with the Lord. Give yourself an honest look. He is your treasure. Be overjoyed. Be willing to forsake everything if He calls you to it for Jesus and His kingdom. The kingdom is so wonderfully valuable that it calls for this unrestrained, uninhibited response from us. So when Jesus says, follow me, we say, yes, Lord. I'll give up everything if it means I get the kingdom. Joyfully, gladly, I'll give up anything you're calling me to give up if it means I get you, Lord. So sacrifice for Jesus, for His kingdom is supremely valuable. So guys, let's learn this lesson uh, from Jesus today. Don't enter into the rest of your days on earth unprepared like my buddies and I did when we went on that rafting trip. Be prepared to value Jesus and His kingdom as your greatest priority, as your greatest treasure. Prioritize the kingdom above all other things and joyfully make any and all sacrifices He calls you to make in order to follow Him. Sacrifice for Jesus for His kingdom is supremely valuable. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the challenge of it. Lord, I pray that You will lead our hearts to follow You well. Lord, whatever that means, please be clear with us and please give us the courage and the boldness like Your disciples just to follow. We love You, Lord. We praise You. Help us in this endeavor. In Christ's name, Amen.